Bible Treasures Topic 12 Thinking Welcome to the Sound Doctrine Telecast. Praise God for all the corrective teaching that we receive with this series of talks. We are studying the subject of thinking. The very first occurrence of the word thought is in the 6th chapter of book of Genesis. And read the 5th verse for you. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We would like you to look at these words a little more carefully. This word says, every thought of man was evil. And it says, every thought of man was only evil. And it also says, every thought of man was only evil continually. Last week we told you that this is perhaps the saddest words in the whole Bible. This was not true only about the first generation, but this has been true of all the generations that followed. But we know that every next generation is worse than the previous generation. So if the thought of man was only evil continually in the first generation, in this 21st century it has gone from bad to worse, perhaps it cannot get any worse further. Beloved, thoughts are very fundamental and foundational for our very behavior. I'll explain to you how it happens so. Our words lead us to our actions. And our thoughts give birth to our words. That's what Jesus said in book of Matthew 12th chapter. We will read to you the 34th verse. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If a man speaks bad things, that means he thinks bad things. If a man who speaks bad things will invariably do those bad things. This kind of thought life can be dealt with only by the word of God. Turn with us to a passage which we have very frequently referred to. Book of Hebrews 4th chapter. And we'll read to you the 12th words. Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and thoughts and intents of the heart. The third function, it is a discerner of the thoughts and still deeper, the intents of the heart. We are bringing so much of biblical teaching into this area of thinking. The topic that's before us is how not to think. Last week we began with lesson number one. Do not think too much of yourself. Today we will move on to lesson number two. How not to think. Do not be over-occupied with earthly things. 
do not be over occupied with earthly things. Turn with us to the book of Colossians, third chapter. We'll read to you the first two verses. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And when you come to the second words, Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. As you keep seeking, the apostle develops further to fixing our mind, setting our mind on that which is above or not on that which is below. And he gives the reason or the logic why he says so. The third words. Because you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What's the logic? Because you are dead, you have to seek things which are above. What do you understand from this? Now, if you look at a dead body, visitors to come to pay their last homage to that man, and they just pour and throw lots of flowers and bouquet and garlands upon him, I want to ask you a question. What do those flowers mean to that dead man? It means nothing. Now that's what exactly Paul wants Christians to live in this world. We are dead. And we have no attachment to the things of the world. We are seeking things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Beloved, there is an example in the Old Testament who is so striking and he is challenging for all of us today. That is none but King Solomon. If you turn with us the book of Ecclesiastes and look at the second chapter, and we'll read to you a few words, and you see how one after the other he tried. Look at the third words. He tried wine. And then he tried wisdom. From verse 4 to 6 he says, I made my works great. He was filled with activities and lots of projects he undertook. And then when you come to the seventh verse, I had greater possessions than all those who were before me in Jerusalem. That means he had an amazing wealth with him. And he says, I gathered for myself so much of gold and silver in the eighth words. In the ninth words, I became exceedingly wise than everybody else. And in the tenth words, he says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. And we all know from the history that we read in First Kings that he had 700 wives. And then he had 300 keeps. Just imagine a man who was trying 1,000 women. And what was the end result of that sort of life? Come to the 17th words. Therefore, I hated life. In other words, he came to a point where he wanted to commit suicide, isn't it? A man who drank as much wine he could. A man who multiplied so many activities and took so many projects and works. 
a man who had gathered thousands and thousands of workers and servants for him, a man who amassed so much of wealth in his time, a man who tried music and all that kind of pleasures, a man who had so much of wisdom, and a man who tried every possible thing for pleasure with women. The end of it is, I hated life. What does he call that life? The 17th verse he says, everything is just grasping for the wind. In other words, this man finally came to a point where he wanted to finish off his life. This is not a very rare story. We have come across many such stories today, isn't it? We have come across so many millionaires who have committed suicide. So many actors and actresses ending their life in suicide. Beloved, the earthly things will finally drive you fast into the earth. That's why the apostles in their lifetime, they severely warned the believers in Christ against attachment to these worldly things. Now if you turn with us to 1 John, 2nd chapter, you read the 15th verse. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Then comes a very interesting question. Does it mean we cannot enjoy the legitimate pleasures of life? Now that's not what the Bible is teaching about. If you turn with me to a very interesting passage and it is an illustrative passage, it is 1 Corinthians 7th chapter. We'll read to you from verse 29 to verse 31. This I say, brothers, the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who buy as though they did not possess. Those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. The sense and the spirit of this passage is that a legitimate use of the pleasures of the world is not prevented or prohibited only overindulgence or overuse is condemned. Now maybe you can ask a question like this to be more practical. Do I have things or do things have me? Now that's a very interesting question. An answer to that question will just settle this issue. I have so many possessions and so many things. The question must be frequently asked, do I have things or do things have me? Now because the love of money has been the root of all evil, which the apostles severely warned their people against. Turn with us to 1 Timothy 6th chapter. Read verses 9 and 10 to you. Those who desire to be rich, you know, love of money begins in the mind. Those who desire to be rich, they fall into so many temptations. And then in the 10th verse, he says the love of money, the desire for money, the desire to have more and more, that will lead to all kinds of evil. That is why Solomon, even in his Proverbs, he has given us a real warning, which is timeless for all times. Book of Proverbs, 23rd chapter. Look at the 50 words. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? 
You know, what does it mean? You know, when there is nothing, you can't see it. But it says, why do you set your eyes on that which is not? Which means, why do you keep imagining, thinking about these worldly things? Beloved, we need to be content. But contentment, we want to tell you, is actually a state of our mind. Unless you are satisfied and content in your mind, all your actions will be uh, contradicting. Turn with us again to 1 Timothy 6th chapter. We'll read verses 6 to 8 to you. As we read these verses to you from God's word and expound them, we know the Spirit of God is ministering to you. 1 Timothy 6th chapter reading from 6. Godliness with contentment, that is great gain. Because we brought nothing into this world, it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with this we shall be content. May the Lord give every one of us, dear viewers, a contentment in our mind with what we have. Suppose you already have lots of riches, what should you do? Now that is a message for those people who are already rich also in God's word. Book of Psalm 62nd chapter. We will read to you the 10th verse. If riches increase, maybe God is blessing your business. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. The word of God gives us lots of safeguards and warning signals. Now we want to quote to you one rich man who had lots of field and he had a rich harvest. And he said, I have filled all my bonds and all my treasures, everything with whatever was the produce from my field. I have enough for this generation. Maybe several more generations to come. He thought to himself, Don't worry, but enough and more. That night, God appeared to him in a dream. You fool. Suppose your soul is taken away from you tonight. What will happen to all that you have gathered? And who will take them? God called him, You fool. He was so rich. But what was his foolishness? He set his heart on his riches. That is why Paul exhorted Timothy to command those people who were rich in his congregation. 1 Timothy 6th chapter. Read to you the 17th words. Command those. You know these words are very strong. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches. They should not be high-minded. Again, he refers to the mind. And he says they should not trust on these riches. I remember what happened in the early years of my preaching ministry. After I finished preaching in one of the northern states of India, a very learned, senior man of God, he came and spoke to me something. Brother Stanley, God is going to really use you. But I want to give you a thumb rule. Simple living, high thinking. Now that's what he said. Simple living and high thinking. 
I have always kept that slogan before my mind. I believe here is a real trap for all the preachers. When riches increase and when your ministry really expands, you know what happens? You forget and forsake simple living. You have a lot of money, but you have no message. You have a lot of money, but you have lost the message. But on the other hand, if we read about the apostles, they did not have much money. But what did they say? Even though we are poor, we make many people rich. They said we are materially poor, but we have made many people spiritually rich. Because we have given them the word of God. Beloved, that is why, because the money and mind are so much connected, when we want to give to God, it must be out of a willing mind, out of a cheerful heart. How not to think? Do not be over-occupied with earthly things. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that has come to us. Help us, O oh God, to take our eyes off from these earthly things, but fix them up on the heavenly things. O oh God, help us to live above the things of the world. Help us, O oh God, not to love the world or the things of the world. Because, Lord, we want the love of the Father more than anything else. We give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.